listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. For the scripture reading this morning, we're continuing in the first chapter of Mark. Today it's verses 21 to 34. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. The word of God for the people of God. Be to God. And thank you for that reading, Jim. Has this been a great Sunday so far? Man, between the 50-year members, let's hear it for the choir one more time. That that song was beautiful. 50-year members, kids, choir, potluck after church cake. I love, I love when it all lines up on one week like this. This is awesome. Um, so the title of today's message is A Day in Capernaum, because believe it or not, everything uh, in the passage that Jim just read for us happens in one day. In 24 hours, um, Jesus comes into the town of Capernaum, uh, which was a village on the Sea of Galilee. I think we've got a, a picture of uh, like modern-day Capernaum on the slides. Um, it was a village of about 1,500 people at the time of Christ, so a decent-sized little town on the lake or on the sea. Uh, it basically operated as Jesus' home base for the bulk of his ministry. Capernaum is kind of where he operated out of in Galilee. Uh, Jesus goes to the, the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he's teaching, but there's a man there with an unclean spirit who starts making a ruckus. So Jesus casts out the spirit. Then Jesus goes to Simon's house, where Simon's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. Jesus heals her, and then he spends the rest of the night healing the sick and casting out demons. That's all just one day in Capernaum, which sounds exhausting to me, personally. Um, I think this is a passage that many of us are gonna struggle with um, because it deals with some realities, some ideas that um, are pretty foreign to our experience. Like demon possession, as an example. Probably not something many of us are thinking about on a regular basis. Faith healing is another area that has just all sorts of baggage attached to it today. In our culture, 
if someone is sick, or if they're dealing with some kind of like emotional or inner turmoil, we don't call an exorcist. We don't take them to a faith healer. We take them to a doctor, right? That's how we do things today. I know a number of folks in the congregation have been reading the Gospel of Mark as we've been studying it together uh, here in church on Sundays. And a couple weeks ago, uh, someone from church came up to me, and they were like, so uh, I've been reading Mark, and uh, if I don't really believe in demons, I'm going to have a hard time with this book, aren't I? And I was like, yeah, you might. If you have a hard time with supernatural stuff, miracles, healings, demon possession, the Gospel of Mark is going to be a tough read because Jesus spends a lot of time in this book healing people and casting out demons. Since this is such a big theme in Mark's Gospel, I thought about making this entire sermon about what we do with these kind of passages. How do we, as like modern, enlightened, 21st century people, how do we handle these stories about the supernatural, miracles, demon possession? We could easily spend an entire sermon or two just on that topic. But the more I dug into the passage, the more I realized that that's not really the way to get into any of this. Debating the merits of the supernatural isn't going to help us read this passage any better. If we want to read the Gospel of Mark well, and if we want to receive the message that Mark has for us, we need to understand that all the supernatural stuff would not have been an issue to Mark's original audience. They just wouldn't have batted an eyelash at it. The ancient world didn't trip over this stuff. Miraculous healings, demon possession, that's just a day in Capernaum, right? Like, this was, this was commonplace. The ancients kind of accepted this stuff as a given. Healing stories were a dime a dozen. Every prophet had miracles associated with them. Everybody knew someone who claimed to have had a demon cast out or been healed. This was not an out-of-place sort of thing. This kind of thing is actually still commonplace in many parts of the world today. We're kind of the weird ones who don't know what to do with it in our culture. And if we get too distracted, if we get too bogged down by all this supernatural stuff, we are going to totally miss the things in this passage that would have actually been scandalous for Mark's original audience. Because make no mistake, there are some stuff in these two stories that would have completely scandalized Mark's first hearers. It's just not the supernatural stuff. So let's get into it. I want to invite you for the next 20 minutes or so to take any reservations you might have about the miraculous, the supernatural demons. I want to invite you to just set that aside for a few minutes. We're going to have plenty of time. This will come up again in future weeks to get into that stuff. I want to invite you to set that aside as we dive into the strange ancient world of Jesus and the first disciples. We got two stories to look at here, two episodes. Um, there's the one in the synagogue where Jesus casts out a demon, and then there's the episode with healing Simon's mother-in-law. Let's start with the synagogue, and I'm going to reread that part of the passage just so it's nice and fresh. Mark 1, beginning in verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? 
Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. It's a classic story about Jesus. He's teaching in the synagogue. He's been going around at this point preaching, starting to build a bit of a following. He's got the first few disciples following him. Um, He's making a name for himself, and so Jesus gets invited to teach one Sabbath at the local synagogue, and right away, the people are amazed. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. This first episode in the synagogue is a question of authority. The people recognize something. They see something in Jesus that they don't see in their scribes and religious teachers. A level of authority, a level of power that is unlike the teachers who run the synagogues. And by the way, a synagogue is basically sort of like a church. Um, It's a local gathering place for the Jewish community where they would pray, hear teachings, read scripture, have fellowships, that, that sort of thing. The closest parallel might be like a church for us today. And the synagogues were run by the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. But the people in the synagogue recognized something in Jesus they don't see in their normal teachers. And someone else recognizes it, too. Verse 23. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? There's a guy with an unclean spirit in the synagogue. text doesn't actually say anything about a demon. It's an unclean spirit that's taken hold of this guy. Still a big deal, though, because you're not allowed to have anything unclean in a synagogue. That's a big no-no. But the religious experts, the teachers, the leaders in this religious community, they don't seem to recognize that there's anything wrong with this guy. The people who nitpick every little thing, who make sure it's, it's their job to spot when people aren't quite following the law, when something's a little off, when something is unclean, they don't realize that there's a man in their midst being oppressed by an unclean spirit. The religious leaders are oblivious to oppression that's happening right under their noses. We're going to see as the story progresses that the religious leaders also don't recognize Jesus either. Um, So they're missing an unclean spirit who's oppressing one of their own, and they're missing the Son of God in their midst. But the unclean spirit knows what's happening. It sees Jesus, it recognizes him, and it goes ballistic. Jesus rebukes the spirit, he casts him out, and the people are amazed. They kept on asking one another, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Don't look now, but Jesus just massively upstaged the religious leaders on their own turf. That's what's going on in this passage. He just got into town. This is like his debut performance, and already we see this this gap emerging. 
The people see something in Jesus that they don't see in their other authority figures, and that gulf is only going to get bigger. This isn't a story about demon possession, not primarily. This is a story about authority and who holds it. The unclean spirit is just a vehicle. It's just a means to an end. This is a story demonstrating that Jesus has an authority no other human leader can match, and that authority is going to land him on a cross. Are we following so far? Are we kind of seeing what would have caught the attention of the original readers? Good. Let's keep going. Uh, We talked about um, authority in the synagogue. Let's talk about this next episode and the topic of gender in Simon's house. This is important. Verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Simon's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. This is before Tylenol and antibiotics and all the stuff that we, like, take for granted in modern medicine. So, like, if you're in bed with a fever in the first century, that's, that's pretty bad. That's bad news. That's a life or death situation, potentially. But Jesus shows up, and he exercises the same authority in Simon's house that he showed in the synagogue, only this time he's casting out a fever. Simon's mother-in-law is restored. She gets out of bed, and immediately she begins to serve them. And at that, any feminist in the room has to roll their eyes, right? Like, come on. And, and for clar- clarify, I am with you on that. I'm one of the eye-rolling feminists in the room. It's like, come on, Jesus. You healed her just in time to make dinner? That is not a good look at all, right? Like, what is going on? We laugh about it, but this is a passage that has been used for centuries to oppress women and keep them in their place. This is a a text that has been read through strictly patriarchal lenses by men in the church looking to keep women down. Women serve. They don't lead, right? That's, That's how this has typically been used. And I am happy to tell you that that interpretation could not be more wrong. It completely misses what Mark is doing here, and the statement Mark is actually making about gender. But to see what Mark is saying, you have to know a little Greek. Um, Let's see. We'll get to the Greek in a minute, actually. Hold on. First way that Mark, uh, that that reading, the patriarchal reading, misses what's going on here is it misses the cultural context of how Jewish households actually operated in the first century. Let's talk about this a little bit, then we'll get into the Greek so you can prepare yourselves. Um, In the first century Jewish house, women were the masters of the household, what happened in the home. It was still a super patriarchal society, super patriarchal world, let's not sugarcoat that. Um, Women had almost no rights outside the home, which is awful. 
But inside the home, women ran the show. It might have been Simon's house, but Simon's mother-in-law was in charge. We actually see uh, multiple examples of this sort of thing in the New Testament. Um, You get Jesus' friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, where Martha is the head of the household. Um, You get a number of female church leaders who pop up in Paul's letters who are heads of households. Society back then, think of something more like Victorian England, right, where you basically had this division of labor between the sexes. That is kind of how it worked. It was super patriarchal, um, a far cry from like the egalitarian ideal we would hold up today. Um, But men were basically in charge of what happened outside the home, and inside the home it was women's domain. All that to say, as patriarchal as this is, it is not an example of a woman being put in her place. That is not a good reading of the context. It makes no sense in light of the culture at the time. Much more importantly, though, and this is where we're going to get into some Greek, Mark is actually making a statement about gender in this passage that is pretty revolutionary for its time. When Mark writes that Simon's mother-in-law serves Jesus, he uses the Greek word diakone. Let's get diakone on the screen. Let me hear you all say diakone. Excellent pronunciation. Diakone uh, literally means servant or to serve, and there's actually an English word we get from diakone. Does anyone hear it? Deacon. Excellent. This is a smart church. I love it. Deacon. Deacon is basically the English version of this word. It literally means servant. Was it already on the screen? Is that Okay, okay good. Oh, awesome. So you got it. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Um, to be a deacon means to serve. The first leaders in the church were called deacons, And Simon's mother-in-law is the first deacon to show up in the Bible. It's a big deal, you guys. There are still many churches today that won't even allow women to be deacons. They haven't even caught up to the New Testament yet. Simon's mother-in-law is the first deacon. Um, This word, diakone, Mark uses it a few times in his gospel. Um, It's usually applied to Christ. The most famous example is uh, Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man came not to serve, oh, sorry, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's an instance of Jesus being called the diakone. There's only two other spots in this entire gospel where the word deacon is applied to other human beings. The first is right at the beginning, this story about Simon's mother-in-law being called Diakone. Does anyone want to guess where the second instance is? It's a hard question, I know. If the first is at the beginning, where do you think the second is? At the end, thank you, very good, at the end, of course. Of course it's at the end. This comes from the, uh, from the end of Mark's gospel, the crucifixion scene. Mark 15, beginning in verse 33, check this out. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, Now when the centurion, the Roman soldier, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was God's son. 
there were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph, and Salome. They used to follow him and provided for him when he was in Galilee, and there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. That word provided, in verse 41, diakone. It's the only other instance of that word in this gospel. Mark bookends his gospel with accounts of women serving Christ, serving as diakone. The first is Simon's mother-in-law who feeds him, prepares a meal for him right before a night full of healings and casting out demons. And then we get this women, these women at the end of the story who stay with Jesus till the very end, long after all of his male followers have fallen away. By the way, um, the 12 disciples, you know, the, the, the male disciples, they never get called deacons in the Gospel of Mark. They're idiots, right? Like, they're, they're clueless. They're always arguing over who's the greatest, who's the best, who's going to sit at Jesus' uh, left hand and right hand. It's the women, the female disciples, who are called diacone. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you can't lead in the church because of your gender. That goes for women. That goes for men. Uh, that goes for the boys and girls that we had up front here today. Um, that goes for you if, um, if your gender identity doesn't fit neatly into the binaries that so many people in our culture operate with. Don't let anyone tell you that your gender is an obstacle to leadership. I don't care what Bible verse they proof text to prove their point. They're wrong. The first deacons were women. A question of authority and a question of gender. That's what would have caught the attention of Mark's original audience. They wouldn't have cared about the supernatural stuff. That wouldn't have scandalized them. But Mark is picking a fight with the religious establishment in both the synagogue and the church, and he's doing it on the basis of gender and authority. Wouldn't it have been a waste of time to just talk about, like, how we understand demons in the 21st century? This is so much more interesting. Some questions. <clears throat> Some questions for application. Who holds authority in your life? Who has power over you? Who's oppressing you? What forces are robbing you of life, robbing you of energy, stealing your joy, getting between you and God? Who are you trying to impress? Whose opinion do you care about? Is it mine? Or some other church leader? Is it your boss or a colleague? Is it a friend? Is it someone in a comment feed on Facebook? Whose opinion counts in your life? Who holds sway over your view of yourself? For Christians, the answer to that question should be Jesus. His authority is the only one with any ultimate power and validity. 
What Jesus says about you is more important than what some church leader says, what some religious establishment says, or what anyone else thinks about you. And in the eyes of Jesus, you are loved, you are liberated from whatever oppresses you, and you are called to follow. Don't try to split your allegiance between Jesus and someone else. There is no contest. Submit to the authority of Christ. And may that authority set you free. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these scandalous words from Mark's gospel. We thank you for sending Jesus to flip the world upside down. Liberating women for leadership and liberating us from all that enslaves. God, help us to follow Jesus as the Lord of our lives. Help us to submit to his authority. May his word be the only word that matters. And may it be a word of freedom. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.